Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. People often read through this assuming that this is talking about predestination in the sense that God has decided already. He already decided in advance who is going to be saved and who is not going to be saved. Who is going to be justified and who is not going to be justified. Who will be conformed to the image of his son and who won't be. People believe that our God has already made these decisions to such an extent that there is no choice for you at all. There is no choice for anyone. No one gets to choose anything. The Lord is the one who decides who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. This is what some people believe. In effect, regardless of what they say about the gospel, this effectively becomes the gospel that they present. Again, it may not be the first gospel that they present, but eventually this is what people begin to believe concerning the gospel because of everything else that they teach. To many people, the gospel is, or at least the good news, is that our God has decided to let some people go into heaven, and he's going to send the rest to hell, and you might be one of those people that he has decided will get to go to heaven. Now, how you are going to know? Well, that's difficult to say. You may not know until you walk into heaven. Between now and then, you may have no confidence, necessarily. There will always be some uncertainty sometimes a little bit more than others, but there will always be some uncertainty concerning this. And so the good news is that some of you will make it, and a lot of you won't. Now, what kind of a gospel is that? What kind of good news is that? Well, obviously, that is really bad news, because you have no idea whether or not you're saved, or whether you can be saved, or if you will be saved. You have no idea, you have no way of knowing, and you have no choice in the matter. You don't get to make any decisions at all concerning these issues. This is what a lot of people believe. I have encountered a lot of people who really believe this. They really believe that God has structured things in such a way that no one can be saved unless he has chosen them to be saved. Now, I want you to know that I don't believe this. I really don't. I believe the gospel is different. I believe that the good news, that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he has provided a way for people to be saved if they want to be saved. I believe that he has provided us with the option, with the choice, that we get to choose 
who we will serve, that we get to decide if we are going to receive the mercy of God or not. If we want it, he will give it to us. If we don't, he won't. I really believe that the good news is that we have the option. We have the privilege of responding to the truth that he has revealed. We have the ability to believe what he has shared with us, that that is the good news, and that he has given us the freedom to choose to believe him or not believe him. He has given us the freedom to decide that because he has given us another option. If he did not come and die for the sins of the world and resurrect from the dead to provide the world with the Holy Spirit, if he did not do that, there would be no option. There would be no choice. To me, the good news is that because he has done that, he has provided a choice. He has provided an option to deal with the problem between us and God. That, to me, is the good news. Now, he uses the word predestined here. I do believe in predestination. Again, in verse 29, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. In verse 30, and these whom he predestined, I believe in predestination. I have no problem with predestination. What I have a problem with is what people believe when they use the word predestination, what they think it means, how they use it, how they apply it, what it means to them. That's what I have a problem with. I do believe that God has predestined many things. I really do believe that. I do not believe that he has predestined all things But I do believe that he has predestined many things. For example, he determined in advance that there would be a need for a Messiah. He knew that there would be a need for the Messiah, and he organized everything. He predestined things in the sense that he intervened in a divine way to set things up in such a way that the Messiah would be able to come and accomplish forgiveness and the restoration of life. I believe that this is a description of predestination. But I do not believe that he did that just for a select few. I believe that he did that for everyone, and everyone has got the opportunity to now be a part, to now participate in what he has initiated, that you get to decide if you're going to believe what he has said and in what he has done, or you can choose to reject it and you can choose to ignore it. So I do believe in predestination, but only to the extent that he has predestined some things. Now, when he talks about calling people, I'm going to begin with that in verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. Now, I believe that the call goes out into the world. That the call is, come to me that our God has spoken out into the world, to the people in the world, and he has said, Come to me, to me who I am, for what I have to offer. Come to me. Now, if you haven't noticed, not everybody is responding to that call. Why is that? The reason why people do not respond to the call is because that call doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't. The call is, you have a need for the mercy of God. And there are a lot of people who don't believe that they have a need for the mercy of God. You have spoken, I believe you have spoken, I'm going to assume that you have spoken at least, with a lot of people about the Lord Jesus. And you should notice, you should have noticed, that there are many people 
who do not believe that they have a need for the mercy of God. They have been confronted with the existence of their sin. They have been challenged concerning the matters of the scriptures. They have been exposed to the truth of God and they are making a willful decision not to recognize that they have a need for the mercy of God. Or if they do recognize that they have a need for the mercy of God, they have made a willful decision to decide not to pursue it, not to seek it, not to receive it even though it is being offered freely. People are making their choices all the time. The call goes out to them saying, I am offering something that you need, but if you don't want it, don't take it. And there are a lot of people who have refused to take what he is offering. So in the context of his mercy that he is offering to the world, he has provided mercy for those who want mercy. And for those who don't want it, Well, it's just not there for them because he's not offering it to those who don't want it. This establishes a very important principle, and that is that our God has established the criteria by which a person can be saved. He predestined this. He determined this in advance that the only people who will be saved or who can be saved are the people who will believe him. That's the criteria. They have to believe him. They have to believe what he has said. They have to believe in what he has done. They have to believe according to what he demands that they believe. And they have to make the choice to believe and trust and receive what he has to offer. That is the criteria by which a person can be saved. And so by him establishing the criteria by which an individual can or cannot be saved, by him establishing the criteria By default, he has then chosen a certain kind of person, a certain classification of an individual. He has established the fact that only some people can be saved because he has established criteria for salvation. So in this way, he has chosen only some. He has chosen those people who want him. And those people who don't want him, don't get him. It's really that simple. So I believe that he has predestined these things to the extent that he has established the criteria by which an individual can be saved. And if they do not conform to that criteria, then they're not going to be saved. And to me, the criteria is very simple. It's nothing to be concerned about. It's just simply believe him or don't believe him. Either way. Again, in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew... He also predestined. Who did he foreknow? He knew that there would be some people who would respond to his call. That's what he knew. He foreknew this. He knew that there would be someone who would receive his mercy. Someone who would be interested in the inheritance that he has to offer. Someone who would want to be a child of God. Someone who would recognize that they are in a condition of being spiritually dead and they would want to be resurrected. He foreknew that there would be someone who would want to know him. That's what I believe he is saying here. So, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. The Lord Jesus was the firstborn in the sense that he is the first one who was born into this world spiritually alive. 
and all of those who receive the gospel are also born again by the Spirit of God, and they are born again spiritually alive, so that they become a child of God. And when you become a child of God, He will begin to do a work in you by changing who you are through fulfilling the deepest needs that are within your heart. And by doing that, you will become conformed to the image of His Son in the sense that you will begin to be a reflection of His Son. You will be conformed in such a way that as you live in dependency on Him and receive what He has for you, receive His very being and character into your life, into your being, into who you are, He will be reflected off of you and you will bear His image just as a mirror bears the image of the one who looks into it. I believe that's what He's referring to when He talks about the image of His Son. In verse 30, And these whom he predestined, he also called, yes, he predestined a certain group of people, those who will meet the criteria. He called out to the people with the criteria, and these whom he called, he also justified. When a person responds to the gospel, then they are justified. It is then that they experience the justification that is truly given to them, not just on the basis of forgiveness, but also on the basis of resurrection, so that the glory of God can be revealed within and through them. That's why he says at the end of verse 30, And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now I spoke about this earlier in verse 19, Romans chapter 8 verse 19 where it says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. I believe that he's talking about the glory. And then in verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He will glorify his people. He will reveal His glory within and through His children so that, yes, His glory will be manifested. He will be glorified through the work that He does within a person's heart. But they also, they will be glorified in the context that He will change and transform them. He changes us. He transforms us in such a way that we become an image or a reflection of the very glory of God. And so when the glory of God is manifested within and through us, he glorifies us in that context. I believe that we have no real claim. We have no claim on that glory that he glorifies us. We recognize that without him, we would be nothing. So I am not afraid to say that he will glorify me because I know full well that whatever glory he brings out within and through me has its origin with him. And so I can esteem or claim nothing with regards to that. There is no opportunity for me to boast or to have pride when I truly recognize that. So going back up into verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, the good that I believe he is talking about is a divine good is something that only he could initiate, something that only he could reveal, something that can only be experienced through a relationship, a personal relationship with him. And that without that, there is absolutely nothing that is good. 
that everything else, everything else in the world, everything else in everyone's life is nothing in comparison. Now, I understand that people live on the basis of good and evil. I understand that. And the good they think is good is pretty good to them. But there is a big difference between the goodness that people can generate in this world out of the energy of their own flesh and the goodness of God. And that's where I make the distinction. That there is another kind of good, another kind of goodness, another kind of manifestation that can only be experienced through the divine intervention of the living God himself. I believe that that is what he is referring to in verse 28. Now, who is going to experience this? Everyone who is a child of God will experience this. To one degree or another, everyone will experience something. I really believe that, that everyone will experience something about this goodness that he speaks of. That he will use the sufferings of life. He will use the problems of life in order to reveal something about himself. Let me give you a simple example. What about the love of God? What is the love of God? The love of God is patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. These are simple descriptions of the love of God. And so let's start with something simple. Let's consider not keeping any records of wrongs, or patience for that matter, or long-suffering. If he is not going to keep any records of our wrongs, if that's going to be the case, then he needs to have some wrongs not to keep records of, doesn't he? Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. There are plenty of wrongs in people's lives. There are plenty of sins to go around for everyone. Everyone has got some sin in their lives Everyone has got something that God could hold against them. Everyone has a need for forgiveness, and he has provided that. He no longer holds your sins against you, and that is an expression of love. Now, the love of God is a small but a very real part of the glory of God that only he can reveal. So I want you to consider that if there is going to be a manifestation of the love of God in this context, you're going to need to have some sufferings. You're going to need to have something in your life that reflects the need for something better. So when he says in verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, well, there may be some things that you experience in your life that don't seem to work out very well for you. But I believe that if it's relevant to sin, just to use this example, if it has something to do with your own personal sin, or even if it has something to do with somebody else's sin that you are a victim of, regardless of what happened, I believe that the Lord can use these things to reveal the love that he has so that you can know him as a loving God and that this will mean something to you because you can make a personal connection between the need for his love and him giving his love. That this connection between your condition and his provision, that when you bring those two together, then you have an opportunity to experience the glory of God. And when this is revealed in you, he will glorify you by fulfilling you and by manifesting himself to you that you will also be a testimony 
of the love and of the glory of God. And through that, you will be glorified. Now, who, who is going to be the recipient of his love? Those who recognize that they have a need for it. He has provided his love for the entire world. But those in the world who do not want it are not going to receive it. And so he is discriminating. He has discriminated between those who will be saved and those who will be lost by what he is offering. By what he has presented to the world, he has created a discrimination between the lost and the saved because of the response that people will have. So again, beginning in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I'm going to start from 28 and go down instead of going from verse 30 back up to 28. Starting from verse 28 and going down to verse 30, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Now, of course, your love for God, those who love God, those are the ones who have received the love of God for them so that they know what it is. They experience it personally, and the love that we will then have for God will be the same love that he has given to us, not something that we generate within and of ourselves or out of the energy of our own flesh or out of our desire to get something from God. He will cause all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is very clear, in my opinion. His purpose in creating this world, in creating you, is so that you might know who he is. And if you want to know who he is, then you have answered his call to go unto him in that context. That you have answered his call so that you may know who he is. That is his purpose. You will know who he is by receiving his love for you as he has revealed it to you. You will then love him with the love that you have received. Then continuing into verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, who did he foreknow? Those who would respond to the truth. Those who would be willing to receive his mercy. He foreknew, he knew that there would be someone. In fact, that there would be many people. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. He knew that there would be people who would receive his grace and mercy, and so he organized things, he predestined things in such a way that he would be able to provide his grace and mercy to those who would be willing to receive it. So that they could become conformed to the image of his Son through the resurrection that is according to the gospel, the resurrection of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the life of God within you. You can then be the recipient of, Of all that he has for you, you will then reflect what he has given to you to others. And through that, you are a reflection of God. You are an image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. When Jesus was here, he was in the image of God. He reflected his God. If you saw him, you would see the Father. If you heard him, you would hear the testimony of the Father. If you saw what he did, you would see the testimony, the works that the Father was doing. He was the firstborn and he was in the image of the living God. So also you have been born again and you will become an image of God. You will become a reflection of him. Into verse 30, and these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. To me, verse 30 is nothing more than a solidification, a repetition of everything he said in the previous two verses. 
in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who is against us? When you understand what his purpose is, then all of this, in my opinion, becomes clear. All of this is obvious. God wants you to know who he is, and he has provided the means by which you can know who he is. And when you understand that he has created this world in such a way that you can know him in a way that you could have never known him if he didn't do it the way that he did, then you can tolerate the sufferings of life. You can deal with the issues of sin that exist in this world. You can easily walk through this life in the midst of the sufferings because you know, regardless of what these things are, you know that God is for you. He is for you. So whoever presents themselves as being someone who is against you, that is meaningless. No one is against you. The more that people try to be against you, the more that God will find ways to use these conflicts, these disappointments, these failures, these sins to show you something about who he is. The more suffering that you experience, now I'm not saying that to encourage you to find more sufferings in your life. I'm confident that you have enough to work with. The more that you experience, though, the more that he will be able to work with and cause to work out together for good. And what is the good that he is accomplishing? It is according to his purpose. And his purpose for making this world and you in it is so that he might be able to reveal to you who he is, your God, so that in the end, there is nothing but you and your God. Sometimes this can be very difficult for us to see. And the reason why it's so difficult is because We want different outcomes in life. When we experience suffering and loss, we want things to be different. But if you can trust your God and know that he is for you, he is for you in the sense that he is the one who you truly need in the deepest part of your heart, and he is also for you in the sense that he has you here for a purpose, for a reason, and that is to have greater opportunity to know who he is, and he can cause all things in life to work together in such a way that you can know more of who he is. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,